Well, good morning. Grateful to have you with us. My name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. If you are new or newish to LifePoint, you have not checked in with us yet, can I invite you to do one thing? Pull out your phone, turn on the camera, and put on a QR code on a chair in front of you, or type in lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. It'll take you to that page, and everything you want to find out about LifePoint, you can find there. Two things that will benefit you this morning. One is the sermon notes. If you click on those, then you can actually track along as I'm speaking, and there's a little interactive spot where you can write your own notes. So if you would like to have a record of what it is that you feel like God's teaching you today, and you can email this to yourself, you can do it that way. There's also a guest information button. If you click that button and fill out a little bit of information, it'll take you less than a minute, and scroll down. There are five ministries you'll see that we support at all of our campuses. And if you see one there that's of interest to you, check that box, and then we will do an extra five donation to that ministry just to say thanks for checking in with us. When you fill it out, tell us how you heard about LifePoint. That's of great interest to me just to find out how we continue to get word out about what God's doing here. Um, so that said, um, so Tammy and I, now you guys just saw Tammy there. Uh, we've been married over 20, almost 26 years and I've known her close to 30. And here's the thing, you would say to yourself, after 30 years, you know someone you know them. The problem is Tammy keeps giving me curveballs. Like there are times when I'm like, I don't know if I know you at all, okay? Uh, so she has like weird fears, uh, you know, like, like today coming up here and speaking in front of you, just, just doing one verse, her hands were sweaty and uh, she was nervous about that. Like it's a fear she has. She has fears of little things, but nothing is bigger than this fear of this guy right here. <laughs> Listen. If you invite us to an outdoor wedding, she's not thinking, oh, it'll be beautiful. She's thinking, bees. There's a chance there's bees. Like, that's how she thinks. And if you see her dancing and flailing in, in any parking lot, it's because there's a bee near her. She's not just a crazy dancer. She's a really good dancer. But in those moments, she looks like she lost her mind because she, she, she believes, it doesn't matter what the bee is, wasps, like hornets, honeybees, bumblebees. She believes they're all together somewhere and there's a picture of Tammy on the wall and they're all contemplating how to get her. <laughs> if, if she's driving and a bee gets in the car, we're dead. So you should start praying for us now. I'm just saying that's her fear. And it seems a little irrational. And you might be saying, well, is she, is she just always afraid? Let me tell you about another story. So one time we were down at the end of the street and the kids were out, and there was another family's neighbor, there was a bunch of kids out, and this guy comes out of his house. Now, he's a very big, very large man, and he's obviously lost his dog. His dog has gotten away. He's trying to get his dog back, and he starts screaming at the dog, and he's, he's saying some colorful language to the point where I'm starting to think, do I say something? Like, there are kids out here. What do I do? Like, what's the protocol in this moment? I still want to be a good neighbor, but come on, dude. Like, I'm thinking this, and then he gets his dog and immediately starts wailing on his dog. Tammy lost it. Now, my little five foot two blonde is going right after him, screaming at him and you know, like, like they're having a confrontation and she's back and she's like a bulldog. She's backing this dude down. They're screaming. She pulls out her phone. She's, oh, I got you on film, buddy. I got you right here. And he's like back. I'm thinking, who are you? I don't know if you're full of courage or fear. I have no idea. I'm, we'll figure it out. We're, this is good therapy for me. So listen, we're, we're in a series we're calling Playlist. And we're looking at the Psalms, 150 incredible poems and songs and prayers written to God. And one person said this, that if you need language to speak to God, those things that are in your heart that you're not sure how to say them to God, the Psalms give you that language. And what we're saying, our big idea throughout the entire series is that God writes the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms. Now, this is part of the human experience is fear. 
Fear is a thing. It's, it's actually God-given that we're supposed to be afraid of certain things. You don't want to go out and play in traffic. You don't put your hand on a stove. You learn to fear certain things. It's a healthy part of life. But do you know that 41% of people in America struggle with anxiety? 41%. That means, you know, an enormous amount of people struggle with anxiety. Fear, which is normal and God-given. Anxiety is very similar. It's like a twin sister. One teaches you, you know, to be careful. Another one becomes this an overwhelming sense of doom of things that could happen. And the thing is, even though in your mind it might be irrational if you're taking an outside view of what that, that anxiety is, that in the moment it's completely physical. It takes over your body. And you know, you've got the fight or flight thing going on, adrenal glands pumping, and your life can become overwhelmed and consumed by anxiety. Isn't that interesting? It's part of our human experience. As many, like I said, 41% of Americans, which means that many of you in the room, you struggle with anxiety. Now, here's the thing. In, in all the years I've been pastoring, I've never heard someone come to me and say, you know what, Ed? I just want a little more anxiety in my life. No one's ever said that to me. But everyone says to me, how can I grow my faith? How can I have a stronger faith? And here's the reality. We all need a stronger faith, especially when there are times in life that feel so out of control. When those things that we're looking at in life that we feel that can become so overwhelming to us, that's when we need a strong faith more than ever, do we not? So that's the question. How do we get a stronger faith? Well, today we're gonna look at a Psalm of David in Psalm 27, and I think he touches on this and I think it's gonna be helpful. But before we dig in there, I'm gonna ask, do you want God to speak to you today? Not just me. I mean, have you ever had a moment when, when the guy like me is speaking and you feel like the, the preacher is speaking right to you? That's when you know the Holy Spirit is doing his thing in the room. He's trying to talk to you through his word and by his Holy Spirit. Let's take a second and invite him to speak to us today, all of us in this room, all right? Father, I pray that you would use the word of God and your Holy Spirit and you would speak to our hearts today. Change us, shape us, teach us what it means to have a strong faith. Do something today in us that will leave us stronger in our faith. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you've turned to those sermon notes in the app or on uh, the lpguest.com, there are three things I'm gonna share in reference to this whole idea about having a stronger faith. The first one is this. It takes focus to have a strong faith. It takes focus. Now, Psalm 27 was written by David. Understand that David had a life that, that had very many challenges. He was handpicked by God to be the next king of Israel. Saul was the current king at the time. And David, who was a young man, had older brothers. Uh, he went down to where their military was kind of at a standoff between the Philistines and the Israelites. And there was a man named Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, who was just a huge giant of a man. And David went out there and fought a battle and God gave him victory over Goliath. So he understood what it's like to take on the giant. More so, because of that, he became extremely famous. He was put into the army and he, had, he led military campaigns, so he understood what it was like to fight in wars. He then became so popular that Saul became, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, afraid of David. And he wanted to, to eliminate David so that his family line would be the family line of the king. So he chased David and, had, and David was on the run for, for many years trying to save his own life against Saul. When he finally became king, eventually he had other wars that, that came upon him. He had people who betrayed him. He had his own son betray him. Like this guy understood if there's anyone who would get what it's like to have things that happen that are out of your control that might destroy your life, this guy got it. And here's what he wrote in Psalm 27, verse one through three. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. I will be confident. This is a man who knew how to focus. He had confidence in the midst of any situation. He had confidence in the midst of war against him. And when his enemies were literally conspiring to take him down, he had confidence. This is a man of great faith, but where did the faith come from? He had incredible focus. Look at verse one again. He had focus on what? The Lord is my light. That means he's gonna make a way. The Lord is the light of my life. He's gonna guide me. He's gonna make sure I know what steps to take. I'm gonna focus on him because he'll guide me. It says, he is my salvation. If my life is to live, it's because of him. He is the salvation over my life. Skip down to verse three, or to, um, the second part of verse two. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, which means I'm not dependent upon my own strength or my ability or the size of my army. He's dependent upon God. He knows that God is the one who has him. The reason he's saying I'm confident, the reason he has strong faith is because he has incredible focus on God. Instead of focusing on his enemies and all the things that they wanna do to him, he's aware. He's not telling you to bury your head in the sand. He's aware of all of those things. But what he's saying is I'm focusing, instead of on that, I'm gonna focus on who God is. That's what he's gonna do. He's incredibly focused. I think all of us have things in our life that cause anxiety. My guess is that 100% of people have dealt with anxiety, even though it says 41% deal with it currently. Probably all of us have anxieties. And I'm gonna share some that I have felt personally that have made me feel that sense of, of anxiousness. The first one is just relationships. You ever have relationships in your life that matter so much to you that when they're threatened, you feel like, man, you're losing something? Friendships, people that you love, your children, uh, parents, uh, neighbors, coworkers, classmates. I mean, there are just times when relationships can get broken and that can cause a lot of anxiety. Um, another is finances. You ever have this fear of how am I gonna pay for that? Like, what if this happens? How will we take care of ourselves? How will we, how, you know, you ever have that sense of doom? That man, I don't know what's gonna happen here. How will we take care of this? How will we make sure our kids go to college without debt? Like, Sorry, I'm just saying that out loud. <laughs> illness. You get, you get some illness involved, you get some anxiety. You get a diagnosis. One time, so I, had, I had some chest pains. I go to my doctor. My doctor says, you're borderline. I'm like, I tell you what, you're not helping me. Borderline what? I'm already stressed out. She goes, well, you need a stress test. I'm already stressed. What are you saying? Like, nothing will make you more anxious than when someone says, man, you're, you're borderline. I'm fine, by the way. Your reputation, you've had someone re attack your reputation, say things about you that aren't true, talk about you to other people. You ever had someone attack your character and integrity and you're not in control of your reputation? You ever feel that? How about your future? You ever look off at the future and think, I don't know how. What about this? How's it gonna end for me? You ever think about those things? These are things I've experienced, have you? I think we all understand anxiety to some degree, even though your things might be different. In order to have a strong faith, you can't focus on those things. You have to focus on who God is, to focus on his character. 
I, uh, I lost my mom over 10 years ago, and so Mother's Day sometimes can feel a little hollow. I miss my mom. I know she was a strong believer. I know she, she passed on to be with Jesus, I, and I'm, that gives me a lot of comfort. Um, but she invested a lot. Like she, just by who she is, she influenced my life. I, uh, I remember a couple of different moments that I'll never forget. One is when I was becoming a young pastor. I was in, in my early 30s, and I, 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 like, I, I wasn't expecting to be a pastor. And I was overwhelmed by the whole idea of it. And I, I sat with her. I was telling her, I'm like, Mom, I don't know if I could do this. You know, I've got, you know, what about this and what about this? And, and you know, the truth is, Mom, I never, I never expected to be a pastor. I just want people to know Jesus. Like, I had experienced the grace of God in my life. I experienced what the cross and the beauty of the gospel does in someone's life. I've experienced that personally to the point where it has stained my life. And I want everyone to know Jesus. I want them to know what it's like to be forgiven, to feel his grace and love. I want them to feel his presence in their life. I want to see them have personal relationships with Christ. I am kind of obsessed by it. In fact, like the people in your life, your neighbors and friends and classmates and family members that you want to know Jesus, that I'm obsessed about that too. I want everyone to know Jesus. And I'm telling my mom, but I never expected to be a pastor. Pastors are like really smart people. You know, they're super disciplined and, and they never sin. They've made great choices. They fast once a week and they know the Bible backward and forward. And I'm looking at my mom and I'm just venting all this out. And here's what she says to me. She points at my chest and goes, you gotta trust him. I mean, what do, you, what do you say to that? I mean, that's all she said. Never forget it. You gotta trust him. Later in life, my mom had open heart surgery and uh, she, had a, she was facing just a terrible surgery, four bypasses, and she's just a little thing. She's five foot tall, and uh, you know, she had the surgery. She was recovering, and I was sitting with her, and I said, Mom, can I ask you something? She goes, yeah. I said, when they told you you had to have that kind of a surgery, were, were you afraid? And she said, no. Straight face, no. And I'm thinking, come on, Mom. Like, I would be terrified. Like, Mom, that's not my mom. She just, she goes, I trust him. That's it. That's all she said, I trust him. Isn't that something? Let me tell you something, moms in the room. One of the most important things you can do for your kids is show them what it looks like to focus on God. It's getting caught by your kids and those around you. And you are influencing your kids all the time. And in that moment, you need to understand, they need to see your faith. They also need to see your struggles. They need to understand that you're real, you're genuine, but they need to see that your focus is on God. All right, so, all right, in order to have a strong faith, if I'm gonna strengthen my faith, I need to take great focus and focus on God. Secondly, is our faith needs to be fixated on one thing. Fixated on one thing. Now, uh, we all know what it's like to be fixated on something. Like if you've ever had someone in your life, a young person who meets that person that they're like, they think is gonna be the one, they become fixated pretty fast, right? To the point where all they can talk about is that person. We understand it. Some of us have been that person. Um, like for me, uh, yeah, of course, I remember being fixated on Tammy. I've never lost that fixation. But I'm fixated on the Celtics right now, the Boston Celtics. They're a basketball team. I don't know if you've heard of them in the NBA. And they're playing in game seven today at 3.30 against the Philadelphia 76ers. They're rivals. And I'm a little bit fixated on my Celtics right now. Now, it's Mother's Day. So here's the question. What do we do? Do I go to, they're going to say, Mom, I don't want to watch a game today. I just want to spend time with you because you're a great mom. And I think what she's going to say to me is, oh, honey, just go watch the game. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Look, you could influence her right now. That's all I'm saying. Look, we understand fixation, right? We understand what that fixation is. Here's what David says, verses four through nine. Catch his fixation. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, oh God of my salvation. Do you catch his his fixation? He wants to see the Lord. His entire fixation, he's just completely fixated. I've got to have more of God. He he says that here he he wants to seek him and inquire in his temple and, and he wants to see God in his presence. That means he wants the presence of God all around him all the time. Don't take that away, God. He wants to see the works of God. He's saying in this case, you'll handle my situation. You'll handle my enemies. I wanna watch you do that. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make melody in my heart to you. I'm gonna sing your praises. You know, he was a warrior king, but he was also a poet. He wrote many of these psalms and he loved to play stringed instruments and he would sing these psalms up to God like a melody of praise. This is David my, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. You know what this reminds me of? David is consumed with prayer. He's consumed with seeing God's work. He's consumed with his instruction. It reminds me of Moses. And I love the Old Testament for so many reasons, but mostly it's storytelling. The majority of the Old Testament is the story of God through people's lens of what God did in people's lives. And we learn from the story of their lives. Moses was an incredible story to learn from. You see, the people of Israel were down in in slavery in Egypt, and God sent Moses to be the deliverer to bring them up out of Egypt. It was all a foreshadowing to the fact that we all need a savior one day. But nevertheless, the story of Moses, he gets them out of Egypt, and then he goes up, they're camped around the mountain, he goes up the mountain, he gets the 10 commandments, and then all of a sudden there's noise down in the camp. And God says, "Uh uh-oh, Moses, look at your people down there. Moses goes down and they've built a golden calf and they're worshiping the golden calf, saying, this is our God who took us out of Egypt. And listen, it did not go well that day. God was hot. He was super mad. Moses comes back up and says, "Um, okay, what do we do now? These are my words added, obviously. So God and he are having a conversation and God says, look, Moses, I made you a promise to send you into the promised land. And I've promised your forefather, Abraham, that through him, all the nations will be blessed. One day there will be a Messiah that's gonna come through this family line. And Moses, that's you. I'm gonna bring you into the land. But all these people, I'm done with them. They're stiff-necked. They're never gonna really rightly worship me. I'm gonna start over with you. And here's what Moses does. He says, "Um, hey God, how about, let's hold up on that one. And this is what a priest does. A priest does. They, they literally work on behalf of the people to God and between God and the people. They're an intermediary. That's what Moses is doing right here. And that's also a foreshadowing to Jesus that one day would be our great intermediary. But he says, God, hold up. If you kill them, if you wipe them out, all the peoples are gonna say, well, you brought them out of Egypt just to kill them. Basically, your name's on the line, God. He appeals to God, trying to find a way to save these people. And God says, okay, fine fine. I'll send you into the land, which I promised, and I'll wipe out your enemies so that you can have the land, but I'm not going with you. Because if I do, these people, as rude as they are to me, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, okay, God, uh, if you found any favor with me, like if, if you really do love me like you say you do, can I have another request? God, how about you not do that? 
And if we go into the land, you need to go with us, God, please. Like what would distinguish us between any other people on the earth? You need to come with us, God. We need you to come with us, please. If you found any favor of me, come with, and God says, okay, fine. Now, Moses is feeling pretty good, right? God has answered to his request. Like God said, yes, he said, yes. Now he's thinking, okay, I'm gonna ask for something Again, I'm gonna go for number three. Now, what would you ask God if you knew God was in a good mood and he keeps answering you yes, what would you go for? I mean, I can think of things I would go for. Maybe not the same things Moses did, but here's what Moses says. Moses said to him, okay, um, you answered me one, you answered me twice. God, I have one more request. I wanna see your glory. God says, "Um, Moses, I can't do that. You can't see my face. You're not made for that. Because of sin, because of the way you're made, you will burn up and die. I can't, I can't let you do that. Moses, I, I wanna see your face. I wanna see your glory. And God says, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll put you in a rock. I'll hide you in a rock. I'll put my hand over you and I'll, I'll pass by you, but you can't see my face. Here's what I've noticed about David and about Moses. The more you come close to God, the more you want of God. The closer you get, the more you know of him, the more you start to sense him in your life, the more you want. The fixation grows as you fixate on God. That's what happened with David and with Moses. That's what he's saying to us. I want you to fixate on me. Do you know what? When you came in today, were you wanting to go to church or are you wanting God himself? You wanting his spirit to speak to you through the word. Guys, we have to fixate. If, if, if you're coming today and you, you've not really met him yet, if you don't really know him, if you not have experienced him, look, you need to taste and see that he's good. Start with a taste of just offering your life to God today and let him start to enter into that. But for many of you, you have tasted and seen that he's good. And here's what happens. There's other competing tastes and we get kind of off track. We get caught up in things and we kind of forget and then we lose our fixation and it has to be cultivated Here's the thing about fixation. If you fixate on the things that cause you anxiety, what happens? Anxiety grows, doesn't it? It doesn't help, does it? If you fixate on the things that cause you anxiety, it just simply wells up in you and becomes like a little fire turns into a bonfire. And physically, it overtakes your life, does it not? When you fixate on what causes you the most anxiety, it causes more anxiety. But when you fixate on God, it causes peace. The apostle Paul wrote, listen, take all of your stuff. And here's the deal. Everyone's gonna deal with anxiety differently. Some people are wired more to deal with anxiety. That does not mean you're not close to God. Some of the most godly people I've met are anxious people. Why? Because it forces them to focus on God. It's all about where you fixate. Paul wrote, take all of your stuff that causes you anxiety and hand it to God, give it to him with thanksgiving. That's focus and fixation. You fixate on the goodness of who God is, remind him of that, and then watch how the peace of God, which makes no sense, it transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is not like, oh, I've done that. It's over. This is a constant fixation on God. I want more of him. I want to know him more. I want him to be the complete fixation of my life. And it takes work to cultivate that type of fixation. And yet that's exactly what he's asking us to do. You know, I I was thinking about ways I might be able to help you with this. There's a couple I was thinking about is a few things you can do to help cultivate this in your life. One is Sunday services. Um, 
you know, the Hebrews says that do not neglect the gathering together of the saints. Why? To worship together, to have the word of God preached over you together, to pray together. Why? Because when you're in the connection with the other believers, something happens in you. Do you know that uh, 20 years ago, if you had done a stat about church attendance, the average churchgoer who was committed was there 48 weeks out of the year. Isn't it interesting? You fast forward to today, and do you know the average churchgoer goes to church 26 weeks a year? Well, now there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, our culture has shifted with sports and, and different things, and it's online. You can, you can check out things online, but there is no there is no denying that when you're in together with other believers, something happens spiritually. We need this as part of what cultivates our fixation on God. Scripture, like you, you need the word of God in your life. If, if you don't have a habit of allowing that to come in, like you need to create that into a habit. It can be short. Like I just, when, when, when I eat my breakfast, I read my Bible. For as long as I'm eating, I'm reading. It's really that simple. And it allows the word of God to keep influencing my mind now, there are other times I study, of course, but just every day, that daily habit of taking in, just make a small habit of taking in the word of God. It just helps. Get involved in a group if you're not. Like we just started our groups again. Get involved in a group because here's what happens. You might be struggling in your faith and have an issue, but then someone next to you, God is doing something in them and it helps inspire you to connect to God. And you need that. And look, some people might need you. It's your faith walk with the Lord. It's your journey with God in the midst of struggle that some other people might be inspired by. And we do that in groups together. Prayer, just talk to God. You know, I think a lot of times it's real easy to turn our relationship with God into like a series of checklists. Like, okay, all right, so you want me to show up at church? You want me to serve on a team, which everyone should be serving on a team. I hope, I hope you're all connected. Serving on a team somewhere, kids, connections, somewhere. Get, get serving, right? Like, we, we get involved in the body. We sacrifice. We, and those, okay, I'm doing all these things. But sometimes it still feels like there's something missing. You see, you can't turn it into an equation or an academic process. Like, okay, I'm learning more of my Bible. That's important. It's cooperation with the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, God is actively trying to do something in and through your life. He is, because he's always doing that. And as you sense him working in your life, you cooperate. It might be simple, like there's a sin in your life and he's like, he's like hammering you about it. You just gotta cooperate with him. He's the thing he wants you to do, involved in that. Maybe he needs you to get baptized or get involved or whatever it is. Like you start to sense God moving in your life. Stay away from this person, stay away from this. I need you to engage in this. Like there's just, God is always at work. And when you engage him, listen, everything else will start to come alive for you. If you're bored in your faith, it's because somewhere along the line, if you could backtrack somewhere, God has been trying to speak to you and you're just not listening. And so everything else now becomes academic because you're missing out on what God actually wants. And God wants a relationship where he's leading you personally. And as that happens, as you start to fixate, watch how it changes your faith. Let me, let me share with you a quick story. So Tammy and I, We've got friends in this church, a couple that have been coming to this church for a long time, but we've known them way longer. So we've, we've, we've known them for years. And uh, several years ago, when they first were married and they had a, a little, little baby boy at the time, she developed a, a medical issue, which I still don't understand, but medically speaking, her white blood cells were, were starting to grow so much and her red blood cells were decreasing. And so what that means is physically is that you can bleed out at any given moment. 
Like imagine getting a cut and it can't stop or on the inside you have an internal thing happen and you just, she could die. And so it was becoming tenuous for her life and the doctors were all trying everything they knew to do to fix this and correct it and get her going in the right direction. And so everyone was praying. Tammy and I were praying. We're praying for this couple and it was difficult. We were afraid for them. So one day we're like, hey, let's go visit them in the hospital. And so Tammy and I are you know, on our way and we're thinking, what, am I, what do you say in that moment? It's like, like we knew what to say. We're like, we'll just pray that, that we could be encouraging. So we go in the room, not knowing what to expect, not knowing what the kind of the feel of the room was gonna be. And she immediately meets us with a smile and says, hey, don't hug me um, because there are medicines in me that you can't touch. So she goes over and sits on the bed, but she's smiling and she seems to be doing great. In fact, for the next 30 minutes, she encouraged us. Like she's talking about what Jesus is doing in in our lives and she's talking about this. I mean, she's just encouraging us. She seems fine. In fact, she seems pretty well, like physically, emotionally, like and I'm thinking, I was astounded. So I said to her, I said, hey, um, can I ask you a question? She's like, yeah. I said, um, you seem to be doing really well. Like, wh- how, what's going on? And she said, you know what, Ed? I, the thought of losing my husband and my child are devastating. That thought is really difficult to handle. But I've been in here, I've had a lot of time to think, and I just keep thinking about Jesus. And the more I think about him, the more I can't wait to meet him. I have seen this with my own eyes, how fixation works. The more that you think and imagine and connect to God through prayer and his word, the more he starts to just become more real to you. And even though you might be in a season of anxiety, let that teach you to lean in. I think that's what he's saying is lean in and fixate on God. If you wanna have a strong faith, focus and fixate on who he is. And the last one, I just wanna say this to you to really just encourage you is that fear doesn't need to be your problem. Fear doesn't need to be your problem. Here's what David says. I believe, verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's faith. I believe God's gonna answer. Now, he didn't know. He had situations in his life that were really difficult to deal with, but he's saying, I believe. I believe, God, you're gonna do your thing. I believe. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Do you see what he's doing here? He's taking his circumstance and he's saying, you know what, God? I'm gonna go ahead and give this to you. I'm going to be courageous in who you are. I'm gonna wait for you to act, but all of this stuff that could cause me fear and anxiety, I'm just gonna go ahead and give that to you. That's your problem now. Look, I do not believe he's saying bury your head in the sand. I know that you have situations in your life. We all do. I think what he's saying is take that thing and I want you to hand this to God and say, this is your problem now, not mine. By faith, I'm gonna exercise my faith by saying, this is your problem. So fear doesn't need to be your problem. You make it his problem. That's what David is doing here. He didn't expect God to take away every circumstance. He didn't expect that. He just expected that God would be there and he would entrust God with all of that. And if you came in today and you have anxiety, some of you understand full well that God uses hard times in your life to do something in you and produce some faith in you that actually produces a different you on the other side. And many of you in this room know that. Like you've been there, you've watched how God used this thing to make you into a different type of believer. In fact, you might say it was beneficial to the point where you thank God for it. You know that's true. And yet there are times for me and for you when when these circumstances just seem so overwhelming and we start fixating on those things. 
And what David is saying, I want you to take those things and wrap them up, put them in a box, put a bow on it, if you will, and slide it across the table to God and say, God, this is now your problem, not mine. By faith, with all respect, God, my life belongs to you. Therefore, this is your problem. That's what God would say to us. Cast your cares on him who cares for you. That's what, that's what David is saying. And I think we should take those things and give them to God because it leaves room for God to work. And we need God to work. If you want your faith to be strong, by faith, the faith that you have, enact that faith by sending that problem to God and then let God have a chance to work on that stuff. And then when he does, and you notice that, it'll only strengthen your faith. It'll strengthen your worship. It'll strengthen your praise. That's, I believe, what David is saying. Can, can I just say, you know, some of you are probably like, yeah, but Ed, okay, I can entrust God with this, but what if God's plan isn't the same as my plan? You ever have one of those moments where you're like, yeah, but God uses hard stuff, which means he's gonna make me go through hard stuff. Okay. I think that's a fair question, isn't it? So here's my question. There are people in your life that you do trust, right? How did you get to trust them? What did they do? How did they act? Who were they over a series of time? What did those people do that you decided, you know, I'm gonna trust that person? Was that person perfect? I guarantee you, everyone that you trust is not perfect. 100% of people are gonna fail you at some point, but you choose to trust them in the moment, right? So you understand trust. Now, let me ask you something. What would God have to do to get you to trust him? Honestly, what would he have to do? Would he have to show off his creative ability? Check, like he, he's good at that. Like would he have to show off his ability to, to handle like tough situations? He's really good at that. Like would he have to be super rich? Like he invented gold, that was part of his plan. Like he gets wealth, like he, he understands it. Like what is it you need? You see, your biggest problem is not your current circumstance or your illness. Because let's say God answered everything the way you wanted to answer and he made everything go perfect. Every relationship, every finance, every situation, every, every perfect, you know, like you would literally live to your 93 years old and you just go to sleep and wake up in heaven one day. You never have to experience any pain, sickness, like and your kids all love you. I mean, imagine everything is perfect. It's all temporary. It's all temporary. And God has a bigger purpose than your temporary enjoyment, even though I believe he loves you and wants the best for you. But sometimes the best for you means that he wants to use your life in a way that shows his glory through your life in the midst of struggle. And that's a wrestling match that you and I have to go through. And that is not easy. But all of us have to deal with that wrestling match of entrusting God with our stuff in the midst of struggle. But he promises that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to think about that. And, and you know what your biggest problem is because all this is temporary? Now, you're in one of two camps today. Most of you are probably in this camp where you understand that sin is your real big problem. That sin has separated you from God. That sin makes it so you can't be in a relationship with him. And he sent his son to die on a cross to pay for it. And you've already got that in your brain. Like you've already sunk that into your heart. You've had a moment where you're like, yes, God. And you realize I'm the one who caused this between me and him. I'm the problem. And then you realize Jesus died for me anyway. And once that hit you, you're saying, I'm entrusting you, Jesus, with my own sin and my own future. And I'm sliding this across the table. You please forgive me. That's an act of faith. And you've experienced his love and joy and your peace in your life. Isn't that worthy? That if he's, if he's that good with your future, isn't he that worthy with your trust, even in these other areas? 
There are people in another camp, though. And you think, man, if I just want God to make sure that this thing doesn't happen or this thing does happen or he takes away this or he gives me this. Like, and you think that's your biggest problem. But the truth is, if you've never really understood the gospel, then sin is a major problem because it's an eternal problem. Because God is holy and perfect and heaven is eternal, he can't accept sin into heaven or it makes sin eternal. He's not gonna do that. He's unwilling to do that, which means if you're still stuck in sin, the only other option is to be a place where God has chosen not to put his goodness. You and I would call that hell, right? But he made that place for the people who rebelled against him, the demons and the angels who rebelled against him. That's where he made that. But anyone who doesn't want him, he said, okay, fine. I'm just, I got a place set for you where I don't have to be there. My goodness isn't there. And you can literally stand in rebellion against me for the, you know, for eternity. That is an eternal consequence. And he's saying to you, look, if your biggest problem isn't that your life goes better. Your biggest problem is that your sin would be forgiven completely. And he sends his son to die for you. Is it difficult to trust him? Yes, but he wants your faith. Let me just say, as we get ready to close up, all right, how do we strengthen our faith? Well, we have to entrust things to God. That's our act of faith. And, and the more that you learn to entrust him with the things in your life, the better your faith is gonna be, the stronger it'll become is because you're teaching your heart to continue to trust him. As you learn to fixate on him, as you trust him, it grows and you just want more of God, it happens. I have a friend in my life who, who I met who shared the gospel with and was part of Bible studies with and for the, you know, for the next 10 or 11 years of this person's life, they kind of played the Christian card. This person had incredible anxiety uh, this person always dealt with anxiety, you know, I, n- never in control of the circumstances. And so this person constantly struggled with anxiety. But this person also believed the truth about the gospel. She just never truly submitted her heart to Christ. And two things happened. Two things happened in her life. 9-11 happened. And if you guys lived through that, you remember, it was that feeling that we aren't safe because we kind of anesthetize our hearts to think that we're safe here in America. 9-11 changed that for her. And the second thing is in that same year, her dad passed away, her rock, the one person that she really counted on in life. And in that moment, she realized she had nowhere to turn. And she felt like at that moment, it was God through the Holy Spirit that showed up to her. I said, take my hand. And she did. And it changed her existence. It changed her life. The thing is though, I still watched anxiety creep into her life. And I watched her continue to grow as she fixated on Christ. And there even came a point in time as she got towards the end of her life and and I watched how her face started to play out. And I asked her, I said, what about your kids? And she said, you know what? I totally trust God because he's better at this than I am. You see, when you learn and train your heart to fixate, it doesn't mean everything gets better immediately. It means you learn to train your heart and through faith, he grows your faith stronger and stronger and stronger. That's what he's trying to do in us because it's the most amazing thing, the gospel of God in us, faith growing, reverberates to those around us. So wherever you're at today, I just wanna encourage you. Let's, let's all stand and pray together but as we get ready to sing. I wanna ask you something. Just do me a favor real fast in this moment. If you, as I've been talking, you would say, you know what? I struggle with anxiety. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand up. Some of you are like, Ed, I don't wanna raise my hand because you're gonna judge me and you're anxious about it. Like, get over that. Seriously, just hold my pine up. Now look around a second. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of us that struggle. You can put your hands down. Let me pray for all of us that understand anxiety. I wanna pray for all of us. 
If you're in this room and you would say, you know, I've never made it right with God. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, a step of faith where you can make it right with God today to know your eternity is with him. But let's take a second. Let's, I'm gonna start with us who struggle with anxiety. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. Let's talk to God. Wherever you're at, whatever that thing is that's most prevalent in your heart that causes you the most anxiety, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say to God right now, God, do you see this? I need you to see this thing. And by faith, I want you to say to God, God, I'm giving this to you. It's now your problem. This is your problem, God, not mine. I've surrendered my life to you. You're in charge, so this is your problem, not mine. Help me to trust you with this, God. Just tell him. God, I'm praying for those of us who struggle, who deal with this, and I ask God that you would meet us in our struggle. Teach us to take a small step this week to surrender our, our stressors to you, our anxieties to you. God, I pray you would meet us with your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that you help us to fixate on you rather than on those things. God, help us to see you a little bit bigger in our lives. Help us to cultivate that fixation, Lord. If you're in the room, just in this moment, and you would say, you know what, I've believed that it's true, but I've never surrendered my heart to Christ. Here's what that means for you. But by faith, you can call on God and ask him for forgiveness. Just say to God right now, God in heaven, I believe in you. And I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. If that's you, just say that to God right now. You believe. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm asking you to please come into my life. I am sorry for the sins I've committed against you. I'm asking you, would you please forgive me? You need to know it's that simple step of faith, not you trying to clean your life up or make yourself into a better person. All he really requires is your faith. Anyone who calls on him is saved. You need to know that that step of faith is what saves you because of what he did on the cross. I'm gonna ask you to do one thing. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ is that when you sense God speaking to you through his word or through the Holy Spirit, you simply try to follow him and do what he tells you to do. One of the things that Jesus made very clear was that if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven and all the angels. It's important to him. So I'm gonna ask you to take a first step with that. If that's a prayer you just prayed, I want you to acknowledge that between you and me and God. Here's how I want you to do that. I just want you to raise your hand up high enough that I can see it and high enough that God sees it. Does that make sense? If that's you in this room, anywhere you just prayed that prayer, raise your hand up high enough that I can see. Say, today's my day. Yes, I see you in the back. Many of you, anyone else, raise your hand up high enough I can see. You may put your hands down. Thank you. Father, I know that you have a purpose for all of us in this room and you're trying to do something. God, you can have us. I pray for those who are taking first steps with you that you would encourage them. Let them start to sense something different in them that you have done in them, God, your Holy Spirit, as you start to guide them from the inside out. It's in your son, Jesus' precious name we pray.